Welcome to the One Drink with John podcast. Today is episode number nine, How She Got Published. Today, my special guest, wife, famous author Jessica Lemon, discusses how she was able to get her first book published with a New York publisher. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks. Now, we're drinking um, some kind of fancy hot chocolate. What, what actually are we drinking? We are drinking Starbucks double chocolate hot chocolate packets. Mm. I actually found it in the grocery store. I was pretty tickled. So. Ooh, yum. Yeah. And uh, we With have marshmallows in it. We have marshmallows. <laughs> um, I have about a hundred marshmallows on mine, and you have a few less, but <laughs> I kind of like lots of marshmallows. So yeah. Those are very yummy. Well, let's get started. Um, I wanted to discuss. I thought the audience mm. would love to hear how you actually like. What were the actual steps you took to get published on your first book? We had kind of mentioned this in uh, one of the money series. Uh, podcasts where we talked about uh, from uh, what is it billionaires no bankruptcy to billionaires yeah um, but I wanted to kind of go into depth and kind of give everybody some background on that so let's go back a little ways um, at what age did you first start writing like actual handwriting oh. like when did you because oh, you were I know you're usually ahead of head of the school curve on a few things so yeah I mean I always wrote when I was a kid uh little I found a couple poems the other day that I had written like little silly poems that I had written and I was I guess 13 or 14 at the time so there was that and then a lot of really bad angsty poetry when I was like 17 and 18 (laughs) a lot of that um and then just sort of throughout I would randomly write a poem you know like when my um grandfather passed away I wrote a poem and and read it at the funeral you know um I started stories but I never really finished them so it's I would say it's been ongoing okay but so when do you think do you remember what was the just trying to think if you have your first memory of writing something do you can you recall that at all not really but I do five or six or four or something I don't know um but I do remember those silly little poems that I wrote at age 14 because they, I've kept them. I still have them on the original oh, paper. Awesome. And I had this little pink and purple notebook with pink and purple paper in it that I would always cartoon and doodle and, and write things on. So I would say, I don't specifically remember because I was always drawing or always writing something, you know, because I cartoon as well, so... Um, it was, it's hard to find me without a pen in my hand. <laughs> That's very true. Honestly. Very true. <clears throat> so it wasn't, um, do you remember, um, some of the first things you read too, or I'm just trying to, curious on trying to get some yeah, background um, on. Um, I read. I mean, even as a kid, you were kind Yeah, of, I read lots of books as a kid. Like my mom would take me to the library and I would just leave with a stack from, you know, chin to hands. I, I couldn't believe that I was allowed to walk out of there without paying for these books because they were just so, like treasures to me. <laughs> they were. That's so awesome. I shopped, you know, I shopped. I I got books from the library out of like the children's section a lot. I got a lot of children's books. And then I started getting out of the children's books and there wasn't really a young adult sort of genre like there is now mm-hmm. for kids. So I was sort of trapped between there was a series called like Sweet Valley High that was mm-hmm. like all relationship stuff, which you would think I would have been addicted to, but I just didn't like it for some reason. I don't know. It felt like too young for me. So I read a ton of 
an author by the name of Christopher Pike, and I still have all my Christopher Pike books because it was about teenagers uh, getting murdered, and that was much more exciting to me. <laughs> teenagers getting murdered. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I mean, what's not to love and about that? And then by that, the time so. I was, like, 14, I picked up my first Stephen King book, which is really age-inappropriate, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't... Disclaimer, we don't advise yeah, that for 14-year-olds. but it was really <laughs> hard to find something that was... At my reading level, you know what I mean? Like, I was reading like an adult, but the, the kids' books were really... I mean, they kind of pandered a little bit. So, um, I still read Christopher Pike all the way through, you know, until I was like 16 or 17 years old that I... Yeah, I guess today... Uh, and you have friends that are authors that do some some young adult or new adult mm-hmm. um, as well. So, it's kind of... There's definitely yeah. a lot more oh, yeah. books for younger people to get started yeah. that are more age-appropriate as right. opposed to Stephen King where you have yeah. nightmares for a I week. I mean, we so. didn't have anything like Harry Potter when we were a kid. <clears throat> we didn't have these, like, big... If you had a big series of stuff, it was, like, Tolkien. And right. then you sit like, down yeah, like and Lord try... Yeah, the Rings. And you sit down and try to read it, and you're like, oh. It, it's so... Right. I don't know. It's it pretty was just, dense. That's true. That, that would, that's, it just didn't seem relevant to me yeah. as a kid. It was really hard to read that kind of stuff. I've always liked very current things. But... But yeah, ironically that I write romance now, I didn't even find the romance genre or even tolerate it until I was like 22. So I was a late bloomer. A lot, a lot of romance authors are like, oh, I've been reading romance since I was 12. They'd steal their mom's books off the shelf. My mom didn't have any books. My grandma had books. And those were grandma's books, and that seemed (laughs) also not relevant to me. But anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I'm. Well, don't skip ahead here, but yes, I may ask some questions about grandmother. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, so back to the kind of school. Um, so as far as maybe English class and papers mm-hmm. you were writing, uh, what do you, do you remember any of those? Um, I know you've yeah. told me that there were some teachers mm-hmm. that had gave you some compliments and some encouragement on yes. to show that you were writing above the normal normal grade level. Yeah, um, I remember in. My freshman year, I think it was, of high school, reading a poem to my class. We had to read it out loud. And I remember one girl, who's actually still my friend on Facebook. Um, hi, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> she, was like, she was like, wow, that was really great. And, you know, it sort of gave everybody in the class permission to agree that, oh, my gosh, it was really great. <laughs> um, but that that stands out in my mind as being, you know, maybe... I am kind of good at this because I never really knew. And then, how old were you at that time? I what was grade were well. You? I was ninth grade freshman. Ninth grade. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Still in high school, sure. Yep. And then when I went to, um, I left high school, went to a vocational school for my last two years of school, like a trade. It's almost like a trade school. <clears throat> um, and my English teacher there was very, very, like we. He gave us. We had to go buy a notebook that was specifically a journal that we wrote to him. His name was Steve McNew, and I think he changed. He just changed the way I looked at everything. So we would write, Dear Steve, and we would write a letter to him about what we were reading and what we were interested in. And he would write back like, yes, I've read that or I haven't read that yet or tell me more about what you think about this. And then we had writing assignments and he had a banned list. Like you can't write about blah, blah, blah. Uh And on the banned list, it was like you can't write about unicorns. But I had a story in mind because that poem that I had read in the ninth grade was a poem about a unicorn. And it was so short, but it was really about a grandmother telling her granddaughter the story of how she once saw one. 
And so I t fleshed it out into a full story. And I told him, I said, I have a great idea and you're not going to want to ban it when you read mine. And nice. my grade was an A and he wrote underneath the A, unicorns are back on the list. So <laughs> look at you, yeah. you changed him. Yeah, Dang. but he was like, he was He's what a amazing. great teacher, though. That's a great teacher. He was what incredible. a good, yeah. Then, what what wonderful exercises. Yes. As a kid to do that. So and I just thrived. I'm sure people. I'm sure a lot of the people I knew in that class I hated it more than anything. But it was like the most fun I had ever had in an English class. And um, he actually asked to talk to my parents at the graduation, and he did. And he said he, you know, I was standing there, and he he told them that um, I really had a lot of potential as a writer. And wow. then I should foster that. So, and that was yeah. what when you were probably a junior in high school. Yeah, I, yeah. Or I graduation, had my obviously. Senior, yeah, senior, I had him senior my year. senior okay. year. Yeah. Wow. And then in college, I had an English teacher. Um, I went to college many years after after high school, but I remember it being like over the period of nine eleven. So it was like you know, um, two thousand and one. I guess two thousand one. And I remember him saying, you know, you really have a proficiency for this with my papers like I always got A's and he's like you just you can really express yourself well and even years and years and years before that like probably right when I met you when I was taking that communications class I had written a short story and uh, read it and that teacher also told me so yeah I, I had always gotten that kind of encouragement yeah that's right I remember you telling me about that yeah but yeah that's interesting so it's just kind of been a few kind of a few glimpses along the way um, of that, that, you know, maybe mm -hmm. you could do this. I mean, I still didn't think I could make a living at it, but. <laughs> right. Well, that's, sometimes you know. that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. So how many, like, um, how many stories do you think you started as a kid? Like, you know, growing up high school or whatever it was. Cause I know you, you mentioned that you, did you any, did you actually finish any stories no, as a I kid? Never or you finished. usually started a I lot, think, right? I think I started, I wrote short stories when I was a kid. I wrote what would be like a children's book length or a, it would be like a little poem. And then I would draw sketches next to it. Um, once I started reading romance and I, I read romance for like 10 years before I really seriously thought I could pen one. But during that time, I would start one. I would get really inspired by something I read and I would start one here and there. But I remember... The first one, you know, when I decided to, to write and try to get published, I, I had one in particular that was a good chunk, and I pulled that out and finished it, and it was just terrible because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but right. um, So that one stands out in my mind. Uh, I can't even remember what it was called. but uh, And that was when? When did you, when did you finish that? So you had started it before, mm -hmm. like you'd started oh, yeah. it when, like in high school or something? Or? No, no, I probably in my twenties, you know. Okay. And then just kind of pulled it out the the year that we were like that I was like decreed that I was going to get published in two thousand nine. You know, I dusted right. it off and started going. Okay, could I craft this into some full length book? And I actually submitted it to Harlequin. This is so embarrassing now because I know <laughs> I bet I know that it was um, just completely wrong I submitted it and it was too short for the category romance that I was submitting it for but I put in the letter that I was confident <laughs> that I could write to the length that they needed thinking surely they're going to read this oh. and see what all my teachers have seen but <laughs> I just beyond and like, they oh must... this is amazing we just need to get her so, to... <laughs> yeah 
Oh, that's so embarrassing. Oh, that's How great. Funny. That's yeah. really. I didn't. I didn't even. Know I didn't know you did that. That's a great story. I wanted it so bad. I kind of went at it a little backwards, but it all worked out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Um, yeah, and then now being published with Harlequin, it's really cool. Yeah, so, now I'm like, circle. see, <laughs> so, right? Where's that editor? <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I told you I could do it. <laughs> Even the first right, submission was took, garbage. Right, yeah. it only took, you know, 20 books and <laughs> lots of practice, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great, that's a great story. Um, so we've, we discussed this and, and maybe some other listeners have heard of the, uh, the concept of having, uh, putting in 10,000 hours. Yeah. And I think it's Malcolm Gladwell, I think, had that, kind of coined that phrase um, that in order to master anything, mm-hmm. you need to put in your 10,000 hours worth of work right. into that. Whether you're becoming you know, a great golfer, you've got to put in your 10,000 hours of practice um, as a writer. Um, and something we've talked about in the past is uh, uh, things in your life that weren't actually writing that I believe have contributed to those 10,000 hours. Mm, yeah. um, and so I have kind of a list of those things. And one of the things um, is that you love romantic comedy movies. Yeah. And you, I mean, you've been watching those since you're a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've always loved those. So yeah. what movie how, junkie? Yeah, right. Well, I think you being a movie junkie helped your your writing now because, mm-hmm. and I mean, how has that influenced? What do you think? I mean, in any good movie, the dialogue is the back and forth dialogue in a good movie is very natural, and dialogue always came to me very naturally because as I write. I'm sort of seeing it in the screen of my mind. I'm seeing this, these two people, and I'm seeing this conversation and interaction happen. And so writing what they're doing with their <clears throat> hands or with their face, the expression on their face, or the way the lilt in their voice when they say something, it, I just had to learn how to describe what I was seeing play out. So I think... Well, yeah, I would guess the dialogue, too, would be... I mean. A lot of your book is dialogue. In fact, yeah. when, I'm, when I read your books or if I read nonfiction, I really love, I mean fiction, mm-hmm. I really love the dialogue. I mean, that's yeah. the part. The banter. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what your editors and other of your readers really mm-hmm. like, is really like that. So My that, debut, yeah, my debut romance was interesting. My editor's specific note about why she bought my first book is she said, you have a total bromance going on here, and we love that, and we never see that. So the book opens with my hero and his cousin, and they're both guys, and they're at a bar, and he sees, the hero sees the heroine across the bar crying and feels this urge to approach her. And so the guys are sitting at the table talking, and she was like, we just don't get a lot of guys sitting at a table talking in the beginning of a romance novel. So that was one of the reasons she actually bought it was because of the dialogue, and specifically the dialogue between the guys. But I'm yeah. around a lot of guys, so that's true. That's <laughs> I think true. I may have picked up on picked up on the picked up on the way that. you talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. But yeah, I know your love of movies. You know, since mm-hmm. I've known you, we've we've always watched movies. We've gone mm-hmm. to movies. We would, I mean, there's a blockbuster right near our house. We went to that. Oh yeah. Every week, you know, and oh yeah, we buy movies and rent movies. Um, obviously, it's easier now. You just get online or get on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But yeah, actually, it's funny going through Netflix when you're like, okay, well, you get you. 
finally say, okay, I get to decide what movie to watch. So I go through and I'm like, oh, have we watched this? And I, yes, I've watched that. <laughs> and I go through and I can't find anything you it's haven't true. watched because you've already watched it. It's true. So we watch all the new series because right. we, I definitely haven't watched that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, actually, that that's a good point too. Even um, the series, uh, which is one of the things we just love about Netflix and Amazon Prime, how yeah. you can have this great concept um you know in a ser- in it you can have you know 10 or 12 episodes of it even if it just yeah. ed- if it's a one off but just the series are so cool they are that's some of our favorite things to watch like yeah. house of cards and different different ones like that mm-hmm. so but one other thing um you've also done is you have been a uh, an avid magazine reader as well and yeah. you've had a subscription to entertainment weekly uh for what, 20 years? How long yes, is that? I mean, I mean, at least 20 years. I don't actually don't read them anymore because I think, I think it's a little, it's, it's not really like you find out all your information now in little bits and pieces on Instagram and on Facebook and it's not, but entertainment weekly used to be the way I found out what movies were coming out what my favorite stars were doing. Right. It was the only, the at the time, yeah, at yeah. the time it was the only source for <clears throat> yeah, this information. It was. And now I feel like Unless it's... you're watching like a current affair or something on TV. <laughs> right. a horrible show. Right. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's true. I guess the, it is, the media's changed where you, you get the information. Well, I guess before yeah. you get your magazine in the mail on Friday. Yeah. You probably get a I've lot of... I've got it. Yeah. I've already, already seen the cover, which the fun part was always running out to get the cover. Well, they post the cover on Instagram on a Wednesday and then I go to the mailbox and I'm like, oh, you've already not seen as exciting. it. Oh, that's yeah. true. But so, yeah, so you... But yes, I... So how is that um, subscribing to and reading that magazine? How is that? Because obviously in that magazine, they talk about books. Yeah, uh, they talk about movies, which you mm-hmm. love. So how how do you think that has kind of added to your ten thousand hours? I mean, I always thought I wanted to be a journalist. Like I did, I shouldn't say I always thought, but I thought being a journalist would be a fun tack on it. Like uh, I used to write reviews for the movies I would watch once Facebook became a thing. I would hop on there. I remember writing one for like The Mummy Returns or something with a rock in it. Remember that really old movie? And I hopped on to whatever. That may have been before Facebook. That may have been, um, yeah, I, I can't remember that what that was Facebook. called. It was like a, but it was like Facebook, but you purchased it for the year for your huh. family and only your family could join and then you could all talk to each other. And so I would write movie reviews and just sort of. Oh yeah. Like, um, yes, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. I can't remember it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was, yeah, the, everybody would get an email probably. That's yeah, what you probably. did. It wasn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, I can't remember. It's been so long ago, but anyway, I, I think. It it helped me to understand how to address an audience, which in turn probably helped when I, because before I was published, you know, publishing didn't happen instantly, as we've discussed. <laughs> um, right. So I had a two and a half year gap while I was writing books and trying to learn what I was doing that I blogged. And I feel like I knew the voice that I needed to blog and to talk to somebody who was reading a blog because I had read so many articles that were geared toward me, a reader who was reading somebody who was talking to me about something, you know, because that's really all reviews are. That's all interviews are. They're like, hey, I sat down and talked to this guy and here, here's what we said. Or, hey, I went and watched this movie and here, here's what it was about. So, so I feel like it helped with that and probably kept me on point with what was trending and what was popular, what everybody was kind of talking about at the time. 
So yeah, and I think that's yeah that definitely that parts because uh, you've heard that from from readers and from editors and and things about your books is that they're relevant. Yes. Um, they're not dated. They're up to date. They're you know right. and you you do try to write it in a in an evergreen type fashion, but you also right. like to put little things in there, some Easter eggs and things mm-hmm. to. To things that are relevant yeah, and things I that do. are going on. Yeah, now, I put so. a Sons of Anarchy reference. We were we were deep watching Sons of Anarchy. Right. That was very relevant. The last episode had just played to wrap up the series, and I I referenced something in one of my books uh, that that dedicated watchers would recognize, and uh, a couple of them did email me and be like, "Nicely done," which was fun. Yeah, that's you can so sneak cool. those in there, and it's really really special to the people who understand what it is, but it doesn't lose the reader who doesn't know what it is, then it's it's a gem. You know, that's the one you have to keep, those kind of references. So. Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough balance though. But yeah, I think I remember mm-hmm. when you're writing them, I in the past I remember you're just like, Oh my gosh, I just wrote this really cool thing. Right. And you would read it to me like, Oh, that's perfect and yeah. I was like and even if you don't it's a great lot you know, great paragraph or whatever anyways. Mm-hmm. But if you know what it's from, it's yeah. even cooler. So Yeah. That's great. So some of the other things, uh, you've always, we talked about this before, but you've always been a, an avid reader. Um, so would you like to tell the story, bring up Grandma, <laughs> and tell the story of how you read yeah. your first romance novel? Because you okay. talked about reading some Crisper Pike books. Yep. And what else did you read? So I read a lot of Dean Koontz, a lot mm-hmm. of Stephen King, and basically I would go to half-off books and buy anything with a monster on the cover. So if there was some... <laughs> I remember reading this one book. I have no idea what it was called. I was thinking about it the other day, actually. Uh, and the, the the it was these elderly, this elderly couple that had a son that was basically a werewolf that they kept like living in the shed or something. <laughs> <laughs> had this like a horrifying hairy beast of a, you know, it was. So I was way I was paying no attention to romance. You know, it was something that my my dad's mother and my grandmother read voraciously she had the harlequin subscription and she just had rows upon rows upon rows of these novels in her basement on these metal shelves so you'd seen them for years oh yeah you just knew that that oh, was yeah. just like right. oh those and then you it's probably the, were like oh those are grandma's books yeah and then you never right the heaving really bosoms and the blowing hair and the <laughs> i mean it was like right. what even is that i couldn't even get my head around it so um when we were visiting actually it was the year um, I think it was the year I met you, actually. 97. Yeah. I yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because I took a vacation with my dad and my brother, and we drove down to, to you know, North Fort Myers to visit the grandparents and just hang out for a week or whatever. And I was, since I was such a voracious reader, I, I read the two books I brought with me. I didn't have anything else to read. And at Grandma's house in North Fort Myers, there ain't a lot to do. Like, you, once you go shopping, <laughs> once you go shopping at the Shell store and you go to Walmart once or twice, it's just kind of nothing else to do. So she was like, ah, you want a book to read? I have plenty of books to read. And she came out with this grocery bag of Harlequin books because if you're not familiar with Harlequin, they have like a male subscription. And a lot of the people that lived in her, like their little retirement community, but we're on that subscription. So you, you would sign up and get six books a month and then they would just read them and trade them back and forth and everybody would read like all of them. So she brings out this giant bag and I was like, oh my God, am I really that desperate? Am I really going to read? <laughs> so I picked up one of the, um, 
the line is called intrigue and it is a romantic suspense because I thought, well, at least maybe somebody will get shot or something because I was like reading horror and action and I thriller and stuff like that. And I read it and I was literally blown away at how good it was and how fun it was to read and how I really liked the romantic element of it much more than I thought I would. I think it was more relevant than... I don't know. I don't know what I thought was in there. But I get it when people are like, oh, God, you're writing for Harlequin. Like, I get it. I was that person. I was right, totally like, that person. These are, grandma, these are grandma's, grandma's books. books. I'm not going to read this. How could that this? possibly? This is, yeah, yeah. I'm reading Stephen King. Come on. This has got to be. How could they apply to my life? Right. So I kind of believed the lie that um, media and a lot of other literary uh, entities, you know, perpetuate by thinking these were just kind of junk reading and and I just loved, I fell in love. And then I started reading Harlequins and other like, you know, other um So do you remember the first, do you remember novels. the first book or not? I don't. You I, said it was I an have, intrigue though, right? It was an intrigue. I don't remember that one in particular, <laughs> but I have a couple of them that were my first and most cherished and treasured reads. I still have those books um, because they made an impact on me. And uh, I still pick them up and flip through them every once in a while. So how many So how many books did you read that week when you were down at Grandma's? Oh, I don't know. I probably read two or three of the Harlequin books while I was there. But it was and enough. then I brought the rest home. Oh, I you was did? Like, can okay. I, have, I was like, can I have these? And she goes, sure, you can have them. So I took them. And, um, <laughs> so she got then, you hooked. And she got me hooked. <laughs> and then I started ordering more of my own. You know, I would go to harlequin.com and just order five or six of them to read. So... That's great. Mm-hmm. I love I love that story. That's yeah. so wonderful. And then in one of your books, mm-hmm. you were able to dedicate yeah. that to your grandmother. And I just yeah. think that's so cool. It was my very first Harlequin book because um, I was published by Grand Central. I was published by Random House. You know, I did a, I did a book with Entangled. I, did, I had a couple books under right. my belt before Harlequin. And then I was like, you know, I should submit to Harlequin. And... We always did submit to Harlequin. It was just I had a different deal, you know, a better deal for my initial series, and it kind of got me into Grand Central instead. So, so yeah, once I was in Harlequin and it came time to write that dedication, I was like, oh, obviously. And uh, I can't – it says something like, uh, for Grandma Edie, thank you, you know, thank you for putting that first Harlequin book in my hands. I wish you were here so I could put this one in yours. So, oh, yeah. that's great. I love that story. That's so cool. Yeah, so very cool. cool. Glad you're able to tell us that. That's great. So what other, um, going back to some other things that kind of helped add to your 10,000 hours, um, you, I believe, you've talked to me about this before, but we, we kind of, you've always liked to try to understand what makes people tick. Yeah. And I think you had said that you even thought about having like a psychology major or something yeah, like that would have been I did have something... a psychology major. Oh, you did? I okay. did. Yeah. That was my major in college when I, I mean, I was in community college <clears throat> at first. I ended up getting a graphic design degree many years later, but when I first went into college, it was the only thing I could think of that appealed to me. I mean, I liked art and I liked being creative and writing, but you can't make a living doing any of that stuff or so I was told. <laughs> so I was trying to be practical. Right. So, like, okay, but what, like what what about that? What about mm-hmm. the psychology was was interesting to you? Like, what did you what did you think that that was interesting? Like, how did that? Well, work? I think I am interested in why people do the things they do, 
and how they do. I was always interested in that in myself. You know, what's in there? Like, what's knocking around in my head? I always journaled. I always wrote poetry. I always did something, and it was just kind of a way for me to figure out, get it down on paper and figure out what it was I was really trying to work out or think about. You know, how I perceive life uh, was seemed different for me than it did for other people sometimes, you know? Um, yeah, so, yeah, like, I just think that... Yeah, that makes sense. I just think that general interest in, and yeah, why people did the things they did. and What their motivations are. Yeah, and... what their motivations are. And I was telling my mom the other day on the phone, I said, you know, I think I was a really emotional, intelligent kid. Like, I can pick up on, like, micro-expressions and tone, and I just pay a lot of attention to that when I'm talking to someone. And I know if someone has said something to them, then it's rubbed them the wrong way. I can tell, even if they don't say it, it's like this little expression or something that their face does. And I'm like, oh, they just got offended. So it's like all of those things, too. It makes it easier to picture a fictional character uh, in 3D. And I get a lot of comments on reviewers, like these characters felt very real to me when I read them. These feel like real people. I feel like I know this person because I try to layer all of that in. Because I want you to feel like you're sitting down with your best friend. You know, I want the heroine to feel like a best friend. And I want the hero to feel like somebody. I want you to feel like you're in the room with these two people as an observer, you know, so. Yeah, that's great. So what, is there any other things that you can think of that uh, you've done in your life that have helped you write, that have kind of led to writing? I think we've covered most of them, but was there anything else? I mean, honestly, that you can reading. Think of? And I talk a lot, so that probably helped, right? <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> um, actually, my... That's right. If you're writing dialogue and you're talking a lot of dialogue, I guess yeah, you could... Yeah, <laughs> my cousin, um, Kevin, you know, Carla and Kevin, mm-hmm. actually asked me when I said that I was, you know, working to get published, I was writing, he said, he asked me this most brilliant question, he said, oh, do you often tell stories? And I never, nobody ever asked me that before. And I thought, I do tell stories. Not only do I tell stories, but I remember when I worked at my office job, something would happen and I would go over how to tell that story when I got home to you. So during the course of the day, I would think, well, I'll start with this and then I'll go here and then I'll tell the end. So I was like literally lining it up in my head. And this is all things I did that I kind of thought, Everybody did, but everybody doesn't do that. So you're basically, <laughs> so, you had something that happened at work that day, yeah. and you were going to come home and tell me, and you were basically rewriting it, yeah. changing the script a little bit to make it as interesting as possible. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was. I was telling you the true story, but you know, you have to decide when to reveal certain bits of information to make it the most interesting story. Right, and the timing, and I think you've always had really good timing, like, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I first was attracted to is because you're really funny like you have some thanks just some, we always got really long that about too. that yeah you're funny too so yeah that was kind of a thing we always kind yes. of went back and forth yeah so we love we love to make people laugh but the timing on that is very important and it's i think true. that's something you've also i mean we could add that to your ten thousand hours of what you've done yeah. but yeah the, the fact that you are you know a storyteller mm-hmm. at heart and then you just you know as far as writing i mean that's basically what you're doing so yeah yeah, it was, I mean, it's really all natural. When I look back, once I got published and I looked back at my life, it's like, well, how did I ever think I was going to do anything besides write or draw? How did I ever think that that was the right thing to do? This just seems so obvious now that... 
Yeah, it's much easier to see it now, yeah. obviously looking back. But no, yeah. it does. It really is interesting because we've talked about this before, but I think this just this podcast is a great example of how many things you've done in your life that have lined up and put you in this place to be an excellent author. And I, you know, it's just kind of like, it was just a matter of time Mm -hmm. for you to find that. Yeah. So what is, and I know we had um, talked a little bit about this on the other podcast, but what, how did you actually get published? Like what, what did you, we go through basically the, the beginning of you saying, I want to start writing, like Mm -hmm. what actually happened? What were the like steps? we're starting a swine flu. Let's start with a swine flu, right? <laughs> okay, which is not funny, but the, I'm just, right. just... Maybe we should change the name of this to swine flu and... <laughs> yeah, right. And grandma's books. I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. That's an attention grabber, right? They're like, what the heck is this about? So back in 2009, I was working. I was in my fifth year of working in direct sales with a direct sales company. And like most multi-level marketing direct sales companies, they had a trip that that I could earn if I worked hard enough, if I recruited enough people, if I sold enough sales. And I worked tirelessly for eight or nine months of the year and achieved this goal. I got all the points and actually earned a completely paid trip to Cancun, Mexico. Um, I bought John in, so we paid the extra to take him with me because I didn't want to go to Cancun by myself. And we got our passports, and uh, we were all ready to go on this trip. And then that was when swine flu was kind of making the rounds, and people were getting really sick from it. And the company announced that they didn't feel safe sending (laughs) their entire sales crew (laughs) to a country where everyone was getting very sick. (laughs) So Yeah, they might have had some blowback to that. (laughs) Let's send the best people on our team who are selling the most of all of our products somewhere. Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. (laughs) Um, So they were lovely about it, and they, they paid us for the trip, even though we didn't get to take the trip. They paid us the... Monetary equivalent of what it would have been to Like a go. bonus. Yeah, right. like a bonus. And they didn't have to do that. I mean, they were already losing money on the flights that they booked. They were losing money on the resort that they booked. Um, all of the uh, promotional, you know, beach towels and hats, which, we, yeah, which we they still, sent us. Which we still have a towel, yeah. It was sort of the saddest <laughs> package ever to open. Everything was like, yeah, Cancun, Mexico, the hat, the beach towel, the <laughs> luggage tag, and we're like, What was the theme, womp. too? What was the theme where it, it was? Well, ironically, it was Mission Possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Which is a so, fantastic a theme. Great theme for something that was basically ended up being impossible. It, right. Impossible for us to go. So... Instead of booking a trip at that time, um, I actually stayed home. I decided to have a staycation that same week. Like, well, I'm not going to work that week, right? This was my vacation. And I stumbled upon a little book called Twilight. And I read Twilight. And at the time, all all four books were out. So I read all four books. It took me seven days. And those are big books. They're all huge. I did was read. They were huge all I books. was read. And um, it was kind of my first, I don't know, it felt like, I was stepping away from what I had read because I always read like mass market paperbacks, romance, Harlequin books. And so I was stepping into this sort of young adult world, which I didn't even know was a thing, and uh, hardback books. And so it was a different kind of experience. But anyway, I read those in a week. And I decided after I researched Stephanie Meyer and found out that she had a dream 
got up, wrote down her dream, and that's what ended up being Twilight. So she you, just had an idea, and she. Wow. So that's so down. you basically you read the books, and mm-hmm. then you're like, wow, how did how was she able to write these amazing right. books that just had yeah. captivated you for a whole Changed week? Changed the whole world, right? The movie was already out, so right. we had watched. I watched the movie first, the mm-hmm. blockbuster you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I didn't know nothing good was for rent, so I went to the little bin. Where the at the, at the local at blockbuster, the local store. blockbuster <laughs> store when those were a thing, and I was digging through the bin, and Twilight was one of the ones that I picked up, and I, um, I know there's a lot of criticism of the film, but that was my first, that was my first um, introduction to what Twilight was. I didn't even, you know, young adult books weren't really on my radar at however thirty whatever year years old I was. Right. So, so yeah, that was the. Yeah, so then you just sort of so you, yeah, you researched the author and yep. realized so so her story is she had you were just saying she had a dream. She had a dream about a boy that was a vampire who was in love with a girl who was a human and his biggest challenge was not to kill her <laughs> because he loved her so much and he wanted to eat her. And I thought that was so great and that was the genesis of Twilight for her. Which of course is a you know phenomenon now, and Absolutely. we wouldn't even have Fifty Shades of Grey if it wasn't for Stephanie Meyer having that one dream. So it really had a ripple effect that we didn't even know how it was going to work out at the time. And so I sort of decreed that I was done with sales, that I didn't want to go back into this company and this business. I just was very disappointed. It was a very sad thing to work as hard as I'd worked all those years to earn a trip and not be able to go. So. I bought a laptop with the check that they sent, with some of the money that they the sent. Bonus. You're right. Um, and decided to dust off that book we talked about earlier, that horrible book, and send it to Harlequin. So I probably should write that editor <laughs> apology letter. So you... like... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So My heart was in the right place. So basically you're like, okay, you decreed, like, I'm going to write a yeah. book and I'm going to get I'm published. I'm going to get published. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing you thought was, okay, well... Let me go back to something I've written yeah, already. I've already got one started. All I yeah, have to do like, is finish it. Yeah, because yeah. the whole thing was you wanted to write a book. Sure. You had to finish a book before you could get it published. Yes. Um, and then so you 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 sent yeah. that one in. I did. I went and researched. I actually went to Barnes and Noble and researched the spines of books, and I read the publishing name. I wrote down all the names of the publishers that I that were on the spines of the books, and I went home and got on the computer and you know went to each of the publishers and I found out first. Did they require an agent to get submissions? Almost none of them require agents now. Some of them do, but a lot of them do not. But at the time, almost everybody required an agent at submission. And I didn't have a literary agent, so I was going to try to just submit on my own. So, yeah. So you had so you submitted the first book and then um, mm-hmm. you got rejected. Yep. I'm assuming mm-hmm. <laughs> by everyone. Yeah. Surprisingly, even though some amazing. I mean, book, I only right? sent it to like three publishers or something like that. Okay. But yeah, but okay. Rejected across the board. Sure. And then so then you then you're like okay well I have this goal I'm going to get published. Yeah. Uh, I need to write another book and yes. so I and I think I'm sure because it takes a while to usually hear back from mm-hmm. a publisher. With a rejection or whatever. Yes, I think it took uh, eight or nine months to hear back from Harlequin. Yeah, very long time. And at the time, I didn't just sit around and do nothing. I was actually researching. I had started another book, the one that was, you know, um, I think actually a different one, a totally different. It wasn't like I didn't understand what a series was or writing three books in a series or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, so I kept... I kept on writing, I kept on doing research, and I knew enough that when I got that 
rejection letter from Harlequin, it was what's known as a form letter, which means it's generic, which means the editor has sent you a generic letter that's basically like, you know, <laughs> they plug your name in and they sign it, but that's it. It's Dear Jessica, Xeroxed copy that's, that is basically yeah. three paragraphs of a really nice way to tell you you have no idea what the hell you're doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they don't say that because they're lovely. Like, this is a horrible and they, book. Yeah, this tell isn't you in right. A really nice this isn't way. right for us at this time. You know, please resubmit in the future, blah, blah. Right. Um, so I knew if I was getting a form letter, because you could either get a form letter or you would get a reject and rewrite letter, an R&R letter. Uh, and reject and, and rewrite. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. That means they liked what you have but they want you to change one certain element of it. Like, no, we just published a book about a sheriff that lives in Houston. Can you change this part of it? Or maybe it's just not. This element isn't strong enough. We'd like you to fix it and take another look at it. Or, but, even, or even something that's maybe it's not in the genre that they're trying to publish. Like, yes. Like this is wrong this is for a, me. Yeah, yeah, this is a really uh-huh. good idea yep. and concept and maybe right. even well, well written, but mm-hmm. it's not quite fitting within... Yes. What they're trying yeah, to Yeah, one of the so. first editor meetings I ever had uh, was actually at Lori Foster's conference. First conference I ever went to, I was unpublished, and I sat down with an editor from Harlequin, and that's exactly what she told me. She said, I love the pitch. I love the idea. I think it would be perfect for this category at Harlequin, so I'm going to recommend you contact this editor, or, or I'm going to forward your information to this editor. But So yes, that does happen sometimes. So during this time, so you, you finished a book that you had started years before, mm-hmm. um, got rejected. In the meantime, and you were writing. And wrote four more. Were you blogging too mm-hmm. at this time? I blogged time? the whole thing, yeah. Okay, so you blogged the during time. the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, Almost the whole time, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so so you're writing. I mean, the whole idea is you're practicing. Um, so it you wrote or you completed how many books before you actually wrote the book? Well, I guess it's uh, how many books did you write? I completed you five books in the two and a half year time period that I was joining the Romance Writers of America, you know, going to meetings there, sussing out conferences, blogging, acquainting myself with other authors, reaching out. I reached out to a published author and asked her to read what I had. I was in touch with a Harlequin author who I was just a fangirl of, and she offered me advice. So yeah, five books in those two and a half years. And by the time I wrote that fifth one, the book that ended up being my debut, um, Tempting the Billionaire, I was calling it her new boss at the, at the <laughs> time, but it's Tempting the Billionaire is what it became. Um, that Yeah, that was, the, that and was then, the progression. And that particular book, though, you had mm-hmm. rewritten multiple times, yes. too, or you had edited. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I had uh, something called uh, Critique Partners, which were other... Friends that I had known on Twitter that I had reached out to and we decided to be critique partners and read each other's work. It's very important that you find, if you're trying to write something, that you find somebody that has the goal that you have and that is at the same place that you ha- that you are. You know, me at that level reaching out to a published author who's, you know, trying to edit and trying to write and trying to hit their deadlines, we really can't feed off of each other. We don't have enough in common. But my critique partners were both trying to get published, both trying to get published in New York. And um, so that's who I relied on for a lot of my feedback at the beginning. And so for people that are looking to 
to get published. So, so you you had found them on Twitter, and yes. how did you find? I know Twitter's changed a little bit it now, has but changed, it, yeah. But it was just uh, was at the it just time kind of a, it was an yeah. author hashtag, or how did you? Yeah, remember I, how you tracked them down? I I do. I remember like we there were bloggers the, who all blogged, and at the time I started my blog, of course I researched how do you have a successful blog, and the suggestion was you go to other people's blogs and you leave comments. And then they come to yours and they leave comments. And so that community was kind of started in the blogosphere. (laughs) And then I found those people on Twitter. And I'm trying to remember how... I just remember them being my Twitter friends. And um, Jeannie Moon in particular. Hi, Jeannie. Who's an amazing, (laughs) amazing author. And you should read her. Definitely. And she's published now. And she's published, yeah. She was, not, was she published yeah, at the time, USA though, or Today not? bestseller. She is. She is, yeah. Um, was she published she was not. first? No. Okay, so Neither this, of us were. So, so we you were, were looking for people mm-hmm. that were, like yeah. you said before, in a similar place. We were kind place. of growing up together at that time. Yeah, that you and are. And I was really nervous on. about reaching out because it's hard to send your work to somebody, especially somebody unpublished. You know, you're thinking, you're like, I'm sending this unprotected novel. They could submit it as their own, you know. But I trusted her, and I told her that, and... You know, you're like, you're someone I trust, you're, I trust your opinion. And, um, yeah, we finally met last year at NRWA conference for the first time. We just both oh, burst cool. into tears. It was, like, so magical. So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah now you're both published, yep. and she's a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, That's both, awesome. got, both got lots of books under our belts, and we That's just keep awesome. going, and, yeah. That's great. And so uh, w- one of the other things, or you had mentioned it a little bit, too, but attending um, local associations because you were yeah. a member of the local RWA chapter, which mm-hmm. is no longer now. Right. Um, and then you also had attended some conferences too, because yeah. you said when you actually had, just kind of explain that, like you had, you had attended the local writers association mm-hmm. and then how did that? Yeah. And I don't remember there? how it may have been Jeannie who mentioned Lori Foster's, um, I can't remember who, uh, no, it wasn't. It was, it was Piper Trace who mentioned mm. it. And she was also in our, uh, our RWA chapter. And she said, are you going to Lori Foster at the time? It was like $50 to attend. And I was like, she's like, it's right down the road. And it was, it was like half an hour away from my house. And I couldn't believe how close it was right in my backyard. This New York times bestselling author putting on this major conference for 500 people. And so I went. Um, so that's how I found out about that. And then I found out that there would be an editor from Harlequin there. And I thought, well, now's my chance. And this was sort of toward the end. This was like two years, you know, um, so this was at writing, that two and a half year point where right. so I've been writing mm-hmm. and you've been revising your craft. Yes. You had written five books. You had taken this particular book, yes, uh, which turned into Tempe the Billionaire. Right. Because uh, I felt her, like it was strong. Yeah, because you and you had rewritten it. Yes, and you would uh-huh. you would because of all your practice and reading, all and my research, feedback from my critique partners. And yep. you're like, okay, this is a good book. Yep. You know, this is pretty close. It might not be perfect, but this is worthy of yeah. You know, sit a sit down with an editor. Yeah, I had. I mean, I really had this kind of certainty in my gut. I was like, this is the one. Right. You're I just knew like, it. I nailed this one. Like, I knew this it is when great. I wrote it. And it and didn't mean I thought it was perfect, but there was just something about it. There was just some sort of little sparkle to it that I was like, this about is the, the one. About the story, it was just... Yeah, this is the one that's going to get me published. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And then another person um, that has helped too, because it's kind of interesting. There's just so many people along this whole path. Yes. I mean, through your whole life. I mean, they're yes. teachers and then your grandmother and, and definitely mm-hmm. friend people that are friends of yours now. Um, Heidi Betts also yes. was somebody that was yeah. encouraging to you. Mm-hmm. She um, told me that. And so who's, who's Heidi Betts and how did you meet her? Well, she's a USA Today bestselling author, uh, was a Harlequin author at the time. And I adored her books. I, st- I still do. She's lovely. And so, so really just a fangirl. To just begin an absolute with. fangirl. I would just go to her blog and comment and was just thrilled to death that she was even talking to me. Mm-hmm. And then one time she, we had emailed back and forth a few times and she found out I was trying to get published. And, um, she was like, you know, when you get published, let me know and I'll write a blurb or a quote for the, for the cover of the book. And it was the first time that somebody had just assumed that I was going to get published. Like, she just assumed that was going to happen. There was no question in her mind that, well, when that happens. It was just like a casual, like, well, when that happens, just let me know. And she did. She blurbed my first book. How cool. Well, I I think there's just so many little steps along the way that, like, that encouragement to you at that time. When you're getting Mm -hmm. rejected and you're working, you're down in the trenches, you haven't Mm -hmm. yet published... You're not, you know, you're doubting yourself. You don't know if you're going to get published. Right. And then somebody that you look up to that yeah. writes excellent books that you yeah. love to read says, you know what, when you get published, I'll do that. And it just, because I know we've talked it's about huge. this before. I remember you mm-hmm. telling me at the time, you're like, oh my gosh, she really thinks I can get published. Like, mm-hmm. how cool is that? So Yeah. Yeah. That was everything. I, and the other step was one of the friends of mine that was... Um, a blog buddy that we would comment on each other's blogs had actually said, Hey, I know a published author and she's published with Harlequin. I bet she would look at your first chapter or your first three chapters. And Cynthia Reese did look at my first three chapters and she sent me back a note that said, before I was published, I just wanted to know if I can write. And I just want you to know that you can write. And so she gave me a paragraph of like notes as well, some tips on formatting. So how to turn in that manuscript when you send it in. But that was another bit of encouragement that was just huge. Um, Sarah Mayberry was another mm-hmm. awesome, awesome writer. Uh, I was a huge fan of hers and, she, and still am. And she's she lives in Australia. And I would wrote some oh, yes. gushy fangirl letter to her. And she wrote back something like, you know, um, fan letters usually make my week. Yours just made my month. And she said, oh, since oh, you're nice. pursuing writing, because of course I had mentioned it because I was telling everybody I'm going to get published. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Um, she had done, she had taught at like an RWA in Australia. And she had a, do you mind if I share you my class notes, share with you my class notes? And I was like, send me everything. And Heidi Betts and Sarah Mayberry had both offered their trainings to send to me. And I studied those, how to write a synopsis, how to, um, yeah, how to structure your romance, how to submit it. I mean, I, Wow. I was just That's huge feedback, it. too. I mean, getting the yeah. feedback from the authors, not just saying that you can do this, but then the critiques of the first three chapters, like, oh, no, this mm-hmm. is, you know, you're going to make it. It's just all of those things led, sounds like it led to getting Tempted the Billionaire yeah. published because you knew you've done all this work and yeah. you revised that book multiple times. Like, hey, this is this might be the one. Like, I mean, I was one... taking a lot of action in this time. <clears throat> 
that I was writing these books, I was taking a lot of inspired action. I was actively writing a blog. I was actively reaching out to bloggers. I was reaching out to authors. I was reading like crazy to make sure that my timing was correct in my book. And um, I was paying attention to how to get rid of all the he said, she said. So I wasn't littering my prose with that as well. So I was just... I was just determined. I was just studying my head off, you know, this whole time. Yeah. And also I, I want to mention too. So if people at home are like, oh, well, you know, she had all this time to do that. Well, you didn't. I mean, you right. had multiple part-time jobs, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think a full-time job for a while too. Yeah. Like, so you had jobs during this whole time. And so yeah. you were finding time to write this. Yes. Uh, I remember you talk about when you were at one job, how, you know, when you had extra time, you would just, you were scribbling down, you came up with an idea and like, yeah. you know, the phone wasn't ringing and you're like, oh, well, let me write this down while you're there. Yeah, so. I had like a little stack of scrap paper mm-hmm. and most of Hard to Handle, which ended up being the second book in the series, most of that draft was written on stapled pieces of paper, of scrap paper that I would just furiously write down these things <laughs> as quickly as I could so I wouldn't get caught, stapled them together, together and shove them in my purse. And then I would dictate them, like, or, like, type them. Get home and type them together. <laughs> if make not some, that make some night, sense of it. If not that night, that weekend, I would try to piece together. But, yeah, I had a I had a planner that looked like I was working on my desk, and I had a notes section. I would flip up the notes section and, and write an idea down. So That's really cool. Yeah. So the actual, so the actual um, last few steps of actually how you did get published, though, mm-hmm. Do you want to kind of go through that story real quick? Just yeah. so you would, I went to, you did all this work. You've got this, you know, this book that you've edited multiple times. Mm-hmm. You think it's good. You went to Lori Foster. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, that... Lori Foster was actually at, after this happened. What happened okay. before that, I think it was like in, like Lori Foster's conference happens in June. And in February, there was like a tea, like a ladies' tea. Um, for the RWA chapter and I just I dressed up and I went and I decided I was going to approach this author who had both a young adult contract with Disney Hyperion and a romance um, novel um, contract as well so she was going to be published in both and I was like she's a superstar and her name's Melissa Landers who we just spent yesterday yes. brunch with <laughs> yes. hi Melissa um, yes. and Melissa really was just so wonderful. I was so nervous about approaching her. And, I, and it's so funny because we went to her wedding over the summer. We're like great friends with her. Right. But the first time you talked, <laughs> you're like, I don't know. She's this I was. I didn't know her. Great person. I didn't yeah. know her at the time. And I was so nervous. And she was a superstar in my head. It was like, oh, yeah, I've heard her talk at the meetings about, you know, because you would say, somebody at the meeting would say, hey, has anybody had any wins? Or you want to share your, you know, what's going on? And that's what she had shared. And so I went up to her and was like, what do I do? This is where I am. I've got these, I've got this book, I'm sure is the book. And she said, uh, in a nutshell, she's like, you basically need to get out of the slush pile and get an agent. If you don't have an agent, they're not going to look at your book. So explain what the slush pile is. The slush pile is like for people that do not, and this is the way it used to be. This is back. It has changed some. It it may have changed, but I I think that's a general term. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, I, I think it's widely believed that, and it's probably true that editors prioritize an agent and manuscript because the agent is sort of also an edit. A lot of agents are editors and they're, they're only sending in the quality work to the editor at the publishing house. So it's already been vetted by somebody else rather than taking something from the reader or from the writer, pardon me. So yeah, I always kind of picture it. 
you know, the slush pile, I, I picture, um, you know, this corner or this office, right. this dark this office, teetering in all, box. all the way yeah. up at the top of, you know, some tower yes. in New York City, right. in the back of some office where this overworked poor editor has this giant <laughs> right. stack of manuscripts yes. that, you know, people have sent in. Yeah. And then, you know, so that's, that's the slush pile. And yeah. then they get this email or a letter from from an agent and they're like, Oh, well I have this book. I'm like, Oh, well let me look at that first. And so this giant that, yes. pile of possibly crap, you know, right. written books. So, right. But yeah. So how did she, so how did, um, Melissa oh, help you? She, well, she told me, and I'll introduce you to my agent if that would help. And she said, actually, if you want me to help you with your query letter, I'll do that. And she, re- she referred me to a place called QueryTracker.net that had a bunch of agent information on it. And I was just so grateful because I didn't know how to write a query letter. It was like one of the hardest things I ever did, like write a letter to an agent about your book. And you had to, every agent has different rules. My agent at the time wanted the uh, letter and the first five pages. And so Melissa helped me fine tune that letter. She even reviewed my first five pages and a couple of her editing changes stayed in the final book. Uh, oh, how cool. Yeah. So I, I just remember I can look back and see like, oh, she put that word there, you know. Um, so That's she great. helped me um, just really polish that and get it ready for the agent. And when I emailed the agent, it 11 minutes passed before I got a reply email that said, I would like an exclusive on this manuscript for two weeks. Send me the full and that's huge. Right. I was sitting on the back porch of our old house and I had a list of publishers I was going to submit to because I had the agent and then I was also did going to submit. Did you submit to other agents too? Or I did. Or did you just at the same time, did you no. send it? She asked for the, I was submitting to another publisher at the time okay. who didn't need an agent. Gotcha. And then I just didn't. I didn't send it to them after all. I sent it just to my agent. And when that two weeks actually passed and she didn't contact me, I immediately sent it to the next five agents that I had researched because I didn't want to wait and miss out. During that period of time, I I was contacted by Harlequin by email that they would like to see my full manuscript. So this is the fifth book, not the first crappy one they got. They're like, wait a minute, this this lady's getting better. (laughs) And she wanted to see it. So I reached out to a couple other friends I had and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? This agent's like, didn't contact me. I know you're not supposed to bother an agent for, you're supposed to like three months pass or something. Right. And I think it was either Carrie Corp or Lori Langdon. I remember one of those two. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it it may have been Carrie. She's like, contact her right now. Contact that agent right now and tell her that Harlequin's in contact with you. Right. And so I did. And then, of course, you know, my agent, Nicole, was like on the phone with me right away. Like, yes, I want it. I want to represent you. Let's sign up. Let's do this. And I was like, uh, I have these other agents I just emailed. And I'm like, what do I do? But I decided to. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I decided to partner with Nicole and wrote letters to the, I had been rejected by one agent in that during that time period or two maybe. And mm-hmm. I had to email the other three. And one of them actually offered me representation. I had to email her a decline. Say, yeah, because yeah. I accepted Nicole's. So, um and it all happened really quickly, too. Like Yeah, then she had it sold in two weeks. Right. She, well, I'm sorry. She had, within two weeks, she had three live off, offers from three different publishers. So, so so just to let people, you know, kind of give everybody a summary. So not only, 
you know, did, did just, you know, do a lot of other writing and different things in her life too. And then she was just working on this, but you were, you were writing over two years. Yeah. Furiously. Two and a half years. Yeah. Um, before, and you'd written five books and yeah. you had re-edited, you know, I keep saying this, but you had taken that yeah. book and you had just really redone it and just got some critique on it and were like, this is so good. And so you've been working all this time with basically all rejections. Yes. Um, some encouragement yep. along the way from some wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden... Um, yeah, because I submitted during that time too. Right. So other you got books. other rejections. Got other rejections. I remember sure. we got a... You got an yes. email. You checked your email on the way. Right, we were yes. driving down somewhere with on a. We we're going a to a Pearl Jam vacation. concert. Yeah, yeah, fun in trip. Indiana, and uh, we were just about to walk out the door, and I got a rejection letter. Right. From a publisher, and I was just heartbroken. Right. right. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to shake that off and have a good time with my friends. Mm-hmm. Right. So all of this effort for you know two or three years editing all this. And then uh, within a few weeks, you're an overnight success. So how great was that? It just (laughs) happened so quickly. Right. But all of that work, and then, you know, you're able to get published. And it was just, so how cool was that? Like that... What it, what was the feeling you had when you I mean, you was, had three was, offers? I remember this because it was yeah. just like amazing. I like was that whole week nine. was just like, what is going on? I mean, I couldn't. I was begging people <clears throat> to take a look at it, and nobody would look at it. And now three people wanted it, and they were all kind of upping their offers until I got you know to so that I could pick the highest one. Yeah, that um, was awesome. So that was really surreal, and I remember. I remember after it was published, you know, usually when you get the contract, you're 12 to 18 months from publication. And after I got the contract, this was the end of June, because I remember telling Nicole for my birthday present, because my birthday's the end of mm-hmm. June, you're my birthday present. I'm going <laughs> to sign my agent for my birthday. It was a couple mm-hmm. days before my That's birthday. Um, they wanted to publish it. It went out ebook first and print to follow, but they wanted to do the ebook in January. And so I got a call at one of the part-time jobs that I had at the time. My agent called me, and I ran out to, like, the shop to, like, you know, the storage shed to take or whatever. A, hide in the to closet take to the, take a private call. To take there. the call. And she said, um, they want to put it out in January, which was only, you know, six, not even six months, right. not even six full months. And she said, but you would have to do your edits in two weeks. Can you do that? And I remember I had recently heard um, Richard Branson say – if anybody ever asks you if you can do something, the answer is yes, and then you figure out how to do it. And <laughs> so awesome. I told Nicole, I was like, absolutely. And I had no idea. <laughs> I had never professionally edited anything with an editor. I was you weren't so, even sure what that meant, I wasn't honestly. even sure what it entailed yeah. so or what like, it would Absolutely, like. I'll do that. You get off the phone like, 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 how the heck am I going to do that? How am I going to do this? <laughs> how? But I just... I trusted that I was in the right place, and I thought, man, I could just do anything after this. I was. That's awesome. Yeah, that's just. That's excited. a great story. I love that story, and again, I'm, uh, you know, I've lived it, so it's just it was just yeah. so neat to see how hard you worked yeah. for so long and rejection after rejection, and then it was just like it felt like all of a sudden, boom! Like within a few it weeks, it's like the whole. It was like what just happened? Yeah. It was like crazy. So, I love it. So. For people listening that have, maybe they have an idea mm-hmm. of a book that would be a great book that they believe, or they're actually writing a book, or, they're, you know, or they've started a book, what advice from what you've gone through do you think would be helpful for them? I think the first thing you need to decide is what you want to do with it. 
Um, at the time, self-publishing was a brand new thing, but it was a thing. And I did have a friend say to me, uh, oh, or are you going to self-publish it? And I said, no, I'm getting published by New York. Because that was my goal. Because right. you wanted to see your book in print. I right? did. I wanted okay. it on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. And I know there's other ways to do that, even through self-publishing now. So it's a whole wide world. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's worlds different from where it was back then. But mm-hmm. um, I had a very clear vision of what I wanted. I mean, I used to walk the aisles of Barnes & Noble, go to the romance section, go to the letter L, and look at where my, and say, my book's going to be right there. You know, I'm going to be between Laura Lee and <laughs> whoever else. Um, Talk about visualization. You really did. You visualized really exactly did. what you were. Every time I was in there, I was like, that's where my book's going to be. And when it's a new release, it'll be on this shelf. Um, so, yeah, I would say figure out your goal. Uh, if you are writing a book because it's in your heart and you just can't bear to live another moment without writing it, then write it. And if you want to self-publish it, if you don't care if you sell any at all, you just want it self-published, you just want it out there, you just want to be able to put it on Kindle and download it yourself, then that's a very different goal from I would like a novel writing career, which was what my goal was. So, Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, once you define what mm -hmm. you actually want... Yeah. um, Then then you go after it. Like, okay, and again, you know, because people... Uh, you get approached, and I'm an author as well. We get approached sometimes, and mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I have an idea, and I should write it. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do with it? I mean, is it a memoir? It's something that you just want to publish and have yeah. your family know? I mean, what what, are you, what is your goal here? Yeah. Or is it, oh, I just really love writing, and I want to become published, and I want to, you know, mm-hmm. I want to make money doing this, and I want, you know, what kind of career, you know, this is what I want to do as a career. Yeah, so. I think that's the number one, because it kind of changes your goal, you know? How hard are you going to work on this. I mean, getting published in New York is hard. Um, it's kind of a little golden door you have to slip through. And even though I was like, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. I very much had moments where I was like, wow, can I really do this? Like, I mean, you would go read blogs about people who were submitting and people were getting rejected in there. And then you read how few they actually accept, how few manuscripts are actually accepted. And it's, it can be daunting, you know, so I think you have to decide how much you want it. And I just wanted it more than I wanted anything else. And so that's <laughs> why I was so, I worked so tirelessly to do it the way I did. So That's awesome. Well, that's great advice. One of the th- note I had, um, I know when you're in the writing process, and I know mm-hmm. when we've talked to other people or when people have asked us about um, you know, how do I get published, whatever. And I, th- I think one of our, we usually, our canned answer is, uh, you just keep writing. You, yes. you you need to write and you need to read and you need yes. to write and you need to read and you need to edit and whether that's blogging, you know, whatever. Because being mm-hmm. writing a blog is a way of getting published. Also, yes. I mean, you're putting it out there. Um, and and like you said, with the goal, maybe somebody's goal is just to write a blog. You know, yeah. maybe that's for them. I mean, but... there is something really satisfying about putting your opinion out there. I mean, obviously, you've seen Facebook. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> People all it have is. to put their opinions out there. <laughs> but I did when I read um, Stephen King's memoirs. Um, on writing, you know, he said, writers read and writers write. And if you're a writer, you should be writing every day. And he mentioned how during one magazine interview, you know, somebody had asked him, they were like, well, how many days a year do you write? And he said, every day, but my birthday and Christmas. 
And in the book, he said, it's basically a bullshit answer because I write on my birthday and on Christmas. <laughs> I write every day because he loves it. He just loves it. Right. And so he was so adamant about writers write and writers read that those are the two things I did. And I was like, well, if writers write and I need to write every day and I'm not writing this novel every day, then I need to write something every day. If I'm not writing the book, I need to write a blog. And I think I fell in love with blogging. I still blog mm-hmm. um, at do. least two a month. I still blog um, and keep that very much active and alive on my site. So, But yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And obviously coming from Stephen King, and that's where, you know, where you've got it too, but that the fact that if, if you're going to be a writer, you know, and if you're going to take this seriously, and I mean, obviously people at different levels, I mean, if you don't want to take it, it's fine. People want to work on their back book for 10 years. It's totally fine. But if you want to take it seriously and, and really take it to the next level and, you know, maybe try to try to get published by, mm-hmm. with a New York publisher and have your book on a shelf at a Barnes and Noble, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to be writing, you need to be reading. So that's great advice. Was there anything else you wanted to throw in as we wrap this up? I think the only thing I would say, because I talk to a lot of people that are like, oh, I always wanted to write a book. Uh, do it. Just do it. Like you're, I mean, time is just vanishing every single day. And don't be afraid to write what's in your heart. You're not the only one that feels that way. You're not the only one that's going to find that joke in the story funny. You're not the only one that's going to find that hero sexy. You're not the only one that's that's going to empathize with your your heroine character, your female character. Just write it. I think that's the best thing you could do, no matter, even if you don't know what you're going to do with it. Even if you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing, do right. it anyway. Yeah, because, I, just... I mean, your first book, like you said, you finished a book that you yeah. started years years before, and you're like, yeah. if you went back and read it now, you'd be like, this is horrible. Oh, I should have horrible. never turned this in. Oh, it's the worst. But you don't, yeah. but you didn't know no. until you wrote. Yeah, you have and to And then practice. you were learning. And... and, you know, and now I've got books that are, I mean, the other day I saw one of my covers for Harlequin was uh, translated to Japanese. And I have like a Portuguese copy of that book coming out and I've got audio books and I've got, you know, a game app, a book. One of my books is going to be on an app for your phone to, to read. And it's just mind blowing. And I don't say that like to just humble brag like all day long, but I, I'm just, I couldn't have imagined that right. <laughs> when I How was fun. in the basement of our old house I mean, I mean, I remember working all day one day on my book and coming upstairs and just sort of forlornly looking up at you and saying, am I just writing words down that no one will ever read? <laughs> like it was like hard times some days because sure. I didn't want it to go nowhere because I, I just had this such a strong vision that it was going to happen for me. So yeah, do it. Just do it. Just do Little it. Little Nike action there. Yeah. Just do it. I love it. This is great. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for doing this. This is great, really sharing your heart and sharing how you got published, which is such an interesting story. Um, I think everybody's publishing story is different. Uh, oh, yeah. I, mean, I love definitely. Stephen King's is one of my favorite. I mean, he, he took his rejection letters. <laughs> uh, so if you think you're getting rejected a lot. just He hung know. them on a nail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the story that you tell? Oh, he he had so many rejection letters that he would stab them. He had a nail hanging on, like, I think it was, like, a board. He was, like, writing in the attic or something. So on one of, like, the 
what's the thing up on the ceiling? Yeah, the <laughs> like the, on the roof, rafters. you know, the rafter. So he would just stab <laughs> the rejection letters, and he had so many rejection letters that the nail fell off the wall. <laughs> so he went and he got a railroad spike, and he used that instead, so that it would hold all of his rejection letters. That's great. Yep. So, yeah. What a wonderful story. Well, thanks again for sharing your story and your path. And I think there's definitely some, some great nuggets of advice for people that are looking to get published. And what I'm going to do is uh, put a, all the links to this um, and even some of the authors that helped you along yeah. the way. I'm going to try to put all of that in the show notes at onedrinkwithjohn.com. So, Jessica, thanks again for coming out. I really enjoyed this. This is great. I actually learned some things. I've been you married to you for 20 years, and I was like, <laughs> I didn't know that. So this has been wonderful, Yay. and I'm sure everybody else enjoyed it as well. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers, and have a wonderful day.